Grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to get into a new book this week. Let's push it. Yeah, line it up. All right, that's it. You know, um, we, are, we are all in a spiritual battle. Did you know the whole planet is engaged in spiritual warfare? Most of the planet doesn't know it but it doesn't change the reality of it. Um, you know, the war that started in Israel yesterday, you know, the, the unprovoked attack, um, you know, what, what do we make of these things? Jesus said there would be days like this. Uh, God's people are instructed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, what, are we gonna, what, are we, what do we make of that? Uh, Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, is a burdensome stone to the world and there won't be peace whenever you've got a, a, a large demographic, a large portion of the, the population that doesn't want the state of Israel to even exist. We know from scripture that God's not done with the Jewish people. Uh, read Romans chapter 11. The book says what it means, it means what it says. And so we should, we should pray for, for peace in Jerusalem, but also um, ultimately we know our Bible and we know that there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes, amen? So above all prayers for the global conflicts, I mean, the cry of God's bride ought to be, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Are you ready for his return? Can you say that? you know, with the whole of who you are, with your whole heart, come quickly, Lord Jesus, or does that spark a little bit of dread in your heart and your life? Uh, does that cause apprehension in your mind? Like if the trumpet sounded right now, and we knew that we were getting ready to be raptured, to be with Christ for eternity, would your heart ring out with joy? Would you cry out with rejoicing? Or would that hit you with a, with a, with a bit of fear because you're not ready to meet your Savior face to face. Some of you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I pray that today you just stop with the excuses and you just humble yourself and submit your life to Christ. Amen? Okay, more than that want you to be saved. This whole room actually, like if, if they had that to do over, they'd be like, amen! You know, we want you saved. We want you to know the Lord. Um, that's, a, that's a big change in life. It's everything. Oh, it's a spiritual battle. You know, Marcy's singing the name of Jesus over every situation and is in the middle of so much uh, turmoil. You know, she just lost her brother. Um, we hope he knows the Lord. There's some peace that maybe he heard the gospel message. Um, and we're trusting the Lord for that, but we won't know until we get there, for sure just in the middle of moving, like her whole world's upside down, and, and, uh, and that song just got her in the feels. I know that because right before I came up here, I walked back and had a short conversation with her. Can we pray for her? Can we pray for her family? Um, can we pray the name of Jesus over the spiritual battle that we're all facing? How many would say, Pastor, I need to be included in those prayers? Uh, I'm seeing the reality of spiritual warfare in my own life. Can I see your hands? Okay, half the church, half this assembly doesn't know that they're in a spiritual battle. We're gonna pray for them too, all right. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Jesus, whether the world recognizes it now or not, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the captain of the host. Uh, Israel, they are his peculiar people. They just don't, nationally, they just don't know it yet. Lord, uh, we do pray for peace in the Middle East. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. And like we just said, above all, we're praying for the return of the Prince of Peace to rule and reign over this planet. More importantly, to rule and reign over the hearts of all people. And Lord, that's on the global scale, but Lord, on the micro scale in our own lives, we're all facing issues and difficulties. We're all facing trials, whether we realize it or not. There's a battle for our lives are they gonna bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ or not? Will they be wasted? Lord, all of us have family members that we're desperate for. All of us have issues and situations that are beyond our capacity. Lord, just in, in a very particular case, uh, in a very 
Um, 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 Lord, it's, it's in this moment, in this place, that we wanna lift up Marcy and her family and just pray for your grace over her life, over the life of her family. Lord, that, uh, that, that truly, uh, her testimony will be, you do all things well. Uh, she sees and knows the benefit of Christ as King and Lord of all. Lord, I pray that it would fall out. You know, Paul, uh, in praying for, in, in writing this letter to Timothy, uh, his cry, the cry of his heart is for grace, mercy, and peace from, from you and Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, um, for mercy for all of us, I pray that the world would see that we know him, and as a result, we know his grace, his mercy, and his peace, and that, Lord, it would spark in them a holy jealousy to have what we have, to know the life of Christ. Lord, Second Timothy, it's the last words of a man's last days and, and what incredible instruction it is for us in these last days. Lord, give us hearts to hear. Give us hearts to receive and to believe on. Lord, we wanna be a people that are full of faith to live out your word for your glory. And so we ask for your help this morning, all in Jesus' name, amen. How come, you know, uh, you can tell it's fall, because the choir went pumpkin spice latte on the, on the dress. Like, this is just me griping. I, we had, how many hundred degree days did we have this summer? And then we had a heat stretch this last week and it was in the 90s. Like, it's what, where is the month of, you know, 50s at night and 70 during the day? Like, where, where's fall? I, I don't, we need to pray. There's something wrong with Missouri. We need, it's always been like that. All right, Second Timothy. This is, this is all about passing the torch. Um, let's, uh, let's look at some background information. There's not a lot of dispute. Unfortunately, there is some, but there's not a lot of dispute. The author is the Apostle Paul. Uh, that's how he starts this letter to his disciple. Verse one says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Uh, some people will question Paul's authorship because it's full of things that they say Timothy already knew. And so why would Paul write what Timothy already knew? Well, hello, this letter is full of stuff that Timothy already knew. That's a biblical principle. And check out Peter, writing, reminding. I'm gonna, you know, I've already, you already know this, but I'm gonna put you in remembrance as long as I'm here. I'm gonna make sure that you remember what you know. Okay, that, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. What this is, is the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul. These are his last words. Am I blasting you, is it too loud? No? Okay, I'm just gonna keep yelling at you then. Praise the Lord, pay attention. <laughs> these, are his last word. these are his last words. Now Paul, he's, he's, he's the, God uses him to get us two thirds of our New Testament. In his first imprisonment, you read about that in Acts chapter 28, that gave Paul a lot of time for a lot of writing, right? He's able to send many letters, but here with this imprisonment, Paul is making sure that Timothy gets the goods. He's putting him in remembrance of these things that he knows, but he's giving special emphasis on what's coming in the last days. This is the last of the pastoral epistles. This is the last letter that he will write. The date of this writing is right before his death. And so that puts it roughly at 68 AD. We give you a chart, uh, a timeline of the times that lead up to the death of the Apostle Paul. But in terms of the background, okay, let's look. You can, you can check out that chart uh, at your leisure. But in terms of the background, after Timothy, or after Paul's release from his first imprisonment, this would have been about 64 AD, Paul would have traveled eastward from Rome just as he anticipated, and you see that in Philippians 1 and 2, right? He says, I'm, he says, he says that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Uh, you see it again in uh, chapter 2 and verse 24. So, 
A lot of the early church fathers claim that Paul also went westward to Spain, just like he originally planned. You see that in Romans chapter 15, verse 24. He says, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat fulfilled with your company. And so uh, 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 many of the early church fathers claim that he did, in fact, do that. He went westward as well. Now, before Paul's second imprisonment, before this time of his death, his martyrdom, uh, Nero has already lost his mind. He's torched Jerusalem, or he's torched Rome, and in order to get out of the backlash, he's fixed the blame on the Christians. The Roman historian uh, Tacitus wrote, all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor, and the propitiation of the gods did not banish the sinister belief that the conflagration was the result of an order by Nero. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. And so, as a result, every cruelty was committed against Christians. Some were crucified, some were covered in the skins of beasts, right, and they were hunted to death by dogs. Some were wrapped in pitch robes, right, they're wrapped in tar and oil, and were set on fire by night to illuminate the gardens of Nero. Nero was one of the most wicked men of history. He's one of history's great pictures of Antichrist. And so make no mistake about it, Paul knows he's facing certain death. You know, in his first imprisonment, he had much comparative liberty. Uh, we've been referencing Acts 28. Look at it very quickly. Acts 28, verse 30. Paul dwelt two, I mean, he's, he's imprisoned. He's arrested. But look at the conditions that he's in. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So in his first imprisonment, Paul could receive all comers. They could come at will. He had his own house. The soldiers guarding him would have been on rotation and they would have been listening to his preaching, his prayers. They would have been watching him disciple. Many inevitably would have come to Christ. Eventually he was acquitted and set free. But now in this second imprisonment, his conditions are very miserable. Uh, Paul is now under military custody and he's viewed as a criminal. Criminal is your next blank. He's viewed as a criminal and you'll see him uh, giving clues to that as we go through. I'll give you the cross references there. Uh, just before his execution, he would have been transferred. Tradition holds that he would have been transferred into what's called a Mamertine prison. Um, there's an example of a Mamertine prison. He would have been lowered down into the cell through a hole. Uh, these prisons were filthy. They were rat infested. These were the last days of his life on this earth. Uh, it would have been at this time, right before his death, impossible to receive visitors, uh, much less receive the books and the parchment and the cloak that he instructs Timothy to send to him. Right? He wouldn't have, at the time of the writing, he wouldn't have been in this final holding cell, but that's ultimately where he would, that, that's the path that he would take to the executioner's acts. Miserable end to his life. But worse than all of that, okay, worse than all of that, he is persecuted for his faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, and in result, he's deserted by all in Asia Minor. Everybody left him. Everybody abandoned him. Second Timothy, down in verse 15, he says it. This thou knowest, that all they which, be, which are in Asia be turned away from me. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, he says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And then down in verses 9 through 11, he tells Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed. Look at verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable with me for ministry. And we'll get into all of that when we get to chapter four. Uh, the only guy that he can see is Luke. 
Uh, outside of Luke, he's by himself. Onesiphorus came regularly to help him. Uh, we'll see that in this chapter, verse 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. I mean, you wanna, you're on the, you know, the lunch break at work and, and um, you're chumming the waters to see is somebody open to a gospel discussion. You're praying for open doors. You wanna, you wanna give them the gospel, right, the good news. God's made a way it's through Jesus Christ and his finished work at Calvary and, and man, you're chumming the water and, and you're, you're laying hands and you're, you're just looking for that open door and, and uh, this, this person at work is just shutting you down on every corner and finally you're just like, after several days of this, like hey, could, 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 sometime could I just talk to you about what God's done in my life? And they're like, no thank you. You know, I, I, I would have thought that you'd have gotten the hint, I'm not interested. Um, you, you, you go sell crazy to someone else and then your heart just drops and you're like, man, persecution, it's rough, that's tough. <laughs> you think you've been persecuted? Paul's persecution was so bad it had a chain on it. Uh, that's an 80s statement, by the way. But anyway, that, it's so bad it had a chain, okay? We don't, we don't actually know what persecution is yet, do we? It was bad. It was during this time of imprisonment and great suffering, great suffering. Uh, he would have been in miserable conditions. This is how, this is the place from which Paul writes this second letter, this last letter. So let's talk about the purpose. Look at verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is writing knowing that the, for him the end is near. He is gonna be martyred within that year in 68 AD. It's the last year of Nero's reign. But Paul's greatest concern, it's not for himself, it's for Timothy and his ministry. In 1 Timothy, Paul encouraged Timothy to be faithful. You'll just see that over and over again. Timothy was young and timid and he suffered from physical ailments and he was tempted to let other people take advantage of him because of his youth and, so, and, and, and as a result not assert his authority as a pastor. Uh, that was 1 Timothy but now here with 2 Timothy what's happening is Paul is finishing well. He's not taking anything for granted. He wants to finish well. It's time to pass the torch to Timothy. Torch is your next blank. So again, this will be the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul. These are his last words, and last words are very important. You know, 2 Peter was Peter's last words. Deuteronomy was Moses' last words, and Joshua 24 was Joshua's last words. You know, the last words of a man greatly used of God are very important. You always wanna pay attention to them. So we have to pay attention to Paul's last words today in these last days before Christ's return. And so here's Paul's last letter to Tim. It's a letter to his son in the faith. It's a very special relationship. Paul is in misery and what you're gonna see is that, that, that in these miserable conditions, all he's concerned about is encouraging, right? All he's concerned about is making sure that Timothy has the goods. He wants to be a resource to him, an encouragement to Timothy all the way to the end and so that death doesn't scare him, the devil doesn't scare him, Nero doesn't scare him. Nothing could scare Paul off mission. I mean the executioner acts, right? It's, it's like getting ready to take his head off. Oh, he doesn't care about that. He's just, all of that just motivates him to, to send Timothy one last charge. I gotta make sure he's got his eye on the ball. I gotta make sure he's got his mind on the mission and the mission on his mind because I'm not gonna be here to help him tomorrow. That's what we're seeing in this letter. So the first thing I wanna point out to you in verse one, this is a letter of authority. Don't miss this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. That word apostle means sent one, someone who has sent a man on a mission. 
You see it translated, that, that, that word translated as apostle 78 times, but it's also the Greek word that's translated apostle two times, it's translated as, as ambassador or messenger. So what is an apostle? It's God, I mean, it's God's sent man with a, with a gospel message. That's what an apostle is. And he's sent, he says, by the will of God. So now I want you to compare how Paul opens this letter, this last letter to Timothy, with how he opens his first letter to Timothy. And I want you to see a parallel truth. So get this down in your notes. You never wanna miss the messages that are discovered by comparing scripture with scripture. There are some really cool messages if we'll just do that. And so let's compare 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. First, here, the will of God is, just look at how it's equated. In 1 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, okay, that's the same. He doesn't say by the will of God, he says by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So the first message that we get in comparing scripture with scripture, here the will of God in the second letter equates to the commandment of God in the first. Those are parallel truths. People say, man, I wish I knew what God wanted from my life. I mean, if God would just tell me what he wants from my life, well then I'd I'd know what it is and I'd do it, said the liar or the fool, the ignorant. I mean, when I was a young man, I liter- those words literally came out of my mouth. I was, go- okay, <laughs> not, not biblically literate. I'm in college. I'm uh, trying to make my way through, you know, the beginning of my life, trying to launch well, and Cheryl, she was just rough, man. I mean, every time I turned around, we're breaking up, you know, and so it was one of those times where we're broke up, and and uh, I'm trying to figure out what's my life gonna look like. And, and I remember, I remember uh, driving home. Some of you, if you've been around a while, you've heard this story. I'm driving home uh, from college and uh, that song comes on. It's one of those, you know, late 80s, early, it would be a late, you know, late 80s rock ballad. There's a hole in my heart that can only be filled by you. Whole heart. Okay, so I'm singing that and I'm thinking about Cheryl and, and I'm making the turn. I'm, 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 you know, the light's green and I'm making the turn and I'm like, I hope I don't crash. My eyes are full of tears and there's a burden in my heart and, and like life would be perfect if I just had Cheryl, if I knew I had Cheryl by my side. And, and, uh, and so I, I was messed up on that front and and, uh, and then, you know, at the same time, I'm getting excited about the Bible for the first time in my life. And, and um, you know, like I love the preaching in my church. And, and, uh, and so I'm trying to figure out, I still don't know that I'm supposed to be studying it for myself. <laughs> I don't have that concept yet. And I was working for UPS. I was loading trucks and sorting, sorting packages for UPS on the night shift. And I'm driving out to UPS uh, about 11 o'clock at night and my, 60, my sweet ride, my 65 Mustang, just stops running out there on 435, uh, heading westbound. And uh, I'm like, what in the world? I can't be late for work. These guys, they don't, they don't play. And I'm fighting with my, my car. I'm, I'm trying to figure out why it won't start. <laughs> Finally, I have to walk. I'm, I'm, I realize I'm gonna have to get, this is before cell phones. I'm gonna have to go wake somebody up and get a phone, because I'm, in a desperate situation. That was like the final straw for me. I'm on the side of 435, I'm looking up into the night sky and I'm like, why God? Why is everything going wrong? Man, if you would just tell me what you wanted from my life, I'd do it, (laughs) said the liar, (laughs) said the ignoramus. God, if you'd just tell me what you want from my life, I just do it. Why, you know, why, why all this discipline? Biblically illiterate. See, if you want to know God's will for your life, get his commands. That's what you learn by comparing, by comparing scripture with scripture. You get into the word of God. Find out what the commands of God are for your life. Find out what the word of God declares over your life. That's God's will for you. Amen? 
So here God equates the commandment of God with the will of God. Praise the Lord. Second, the promise of life, right, in 2 Timothy, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, equates to our hope. And what's the common denominator, right? The promise of life and our hope. Well, it's the Lord Jesus. That's the parallel truth. Get this down in your notes. Believers in Jesus have a sure hope. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a hope like the world uses it. We talked about this in our Jude study. No, it's a no-so. I know-so hope. It's not hype. Right? It's, it's, it's sure knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have something even more sure than the voice of God, Peter says. It's his word. God's word is our assurance. God's word is our promise. God's word, it's everything. God's word guarantees us eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's our hope. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You know if you're going to heaven when you die? Well, I sure hope so, said the person that doesn't understand the gospel, (laughs) doesn't know what the promises of God's word are over their life. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. This is why when a believer in Christ dies, it's a promotion, not a loss. Their hope, right, their faith is made sight. Paul says as much in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who are dead, physically dead, but yet have faith in Christ, that ye sorrow not, even as others, the lost world, which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So just as surely as Paul knew he had eternal life in Christ, he knew what God's calling was, right? He knew that it was sure in his life. See, listen, if the promise of eternal life is real in your life, if you know you have eternal life, you're saved, well, then you're a jerk if you don't share that with others. Fulfilling the mission for the believer ultimately becomes the single focus. It's the primary project of our life. And this is what 2 Timothy is all about. 1 Timothy was introduction. We actually covered that here at MBT actually now several years ago. Uh, all of those sermons are on the Sermon Finder. You'll be able to get that, and, and that will catch you up for everything that we're going to look at in 2 Timothy. So 1 Timothy's introduction, 2 Timothy, right? Now Paul is going to show us how to get the victory in this troubled world that we live in right here, right now in these last days. Right here, right now before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is a letter of authority. So growing leaders, disciples, Bible study leaders, parents, right? You have a position that requires you to ensure that God's word, God's mission, God's hope are understood, received, and implemented in the life, right? In the, in the lives of those that you have charge over. You have a God-given authority. But notice that this is also a letter of affection. That's your next blank. Look at verse two. So verse one from Paul, verse two to Timothy. Who? To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So notice that Paul's authority does not exclude the affection and care that Timothy receives from Paul. Just because Paul's an authority over him, that doesn't mean he treats him like an underling. You know, his step and fetch. No, it's his dearly beloved son. Notice, Paul and Timothy's relationship is one of a father-son relationship. From the beginning of Paul's investment in Timothy, here's this little guy, this young guy, half Jew, half Greek, in Acts chapter 16, all the way through Paul's discipleship, of a discipling of Timothy, his developing him into the place, to the place where he can now serve in Paul's place, they had a father-son relationship. Check out Philippians chapter two. Look at what Paul says about Timothy. He says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Look at what he says about Tim. For I have no man 
like-minded, who will naturally care for your state. Why? <laughs> this is, I mean, again, we're talking about believers here. For all seek their own, and not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is the key to effective leadership. You wanna be effective as a leader? Love like a parent. Love like a parent. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You do anything. You bring home a little poop factory from the hospital and your heart's ready to bust. That little poop factory can't do anything. It can't make money, can't clean the house, can't do anything but cry, eat, coo, and poo. I mean, that's what a baby does. And you would do anything to make sure that that kid has what it needs, that child has what is required for it to thrive, to grow, and be successful on its own in your place. Like, I mean, unless a parent has lost their mind, their objective is, is that this kid will thrive when I'm gone. That's all that matters. Okay, you wanna be an effective leader. Love like a parent. Make sure that your charge has everything that they need to thrive in your place. See, a parent instructs, they model, they lead, all in order to see their child grow and ultimately flourish on their own. So let's, what, I mean, that's parenting. So let's, let's uh, give you a working definition of what a parent is, parenting. We're talking about an equipping process that requires great personal sacrifice on the part of the parent. See, here's the problem. Some people want to be in ministry leadership so that they can, in their mind, boss people around. Like, they won't say it out loud. They won't say the quiet part out loud, but what's in their heart is, put me in charge, because I'm a big baller, shot caller. Put me in charge, and I'll show you how it's done. Put me in charge, I'll start cracking the whip, we'll get this place ship-shape in no time, because I'm awesome. And what they end up doing is they start lording over God's people. And that never accomplishes the goal. Paul and Peter both understood what it took to lead people for Christ. It takes in sampleship. That's what it takes. You want to get that down. In sampleship. You say, Pastor, that's not a word. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> I just gave you a word that you can use. Somebody put that in the dictionary. That's what we need. We need more in sampleship. We need more people modeling what this, modeling what this looks like. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, take the ministry leadership, take the leadership responsibility. Hello, I'm talking to somebody today. You got new people coming into this church all the time. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to own their destiny. Somebody needs to take them under their wing and make sure they come out okay. Somebody needs to take the responsibility to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay down my life making sure that this new believer gets the goods. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not because you have to, but because you want to. Willingly, not because you wanna get paid, but because you know it pays off. Willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And here it is, verse three, neither is being lords over God's heritage. They don't belong to you to serve you. <laughs> you, get to, you get to sacrifice for them. But being in samples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. And you wanna be an effective, growing leader? You wanna be an effective leader? in the lives of other people, take Peter's charge to heart. Be subject to those that God places in your life. Be clothed with humility, put it on, wear it. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Don't we need grace? The grace of God in the ministry that he's called us to? You know, you don't have the ability to do anything that God wants to see come out of your life. You can't, you don't have the ability to give anyone eternal life. Only God can do that, the word of God. You can't do that, you have no power to give eternal life. You can't even stop your own death in the flesh. You can't conform anyone to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't make them grow into his likeness. 
but these are things that God can use you to be a part of seeing take place. You can preach the gospel and they can believe on it. You can disciple them and they'll grow in the nurture and the admonition of God's word. Like you can, God can use you to do those things. So we need his grace. So let's humble ourselves. God resisteth the proud. He giveth grace to the humble. So here's the answer. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Let's be a small people, right? Let's be a small people in a, in a tough place, in a tough time. But let's be full of faith. Let's believe. In 1 Corinthians chapter one, we find out it pleases God to use what the world despises, right? The weak, the foolish things of this world are the things that it pleases God to, to use. And so, again, I'll repeat this again. I look at that and I'm so encouraged by 1 Corinthians chapter one, I, I read that and I say, God, I am wonderfully qualified for you to use. I'm weak, I'm foolish. Uh, I mean, easily despisable in the eyes of the world. But you're my dad and you can use me any way you see fit. I know it, I believe it. Here am I, <laughs> take me, use me for your glory. Let's humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And you know what, I believe with all my heart, God will keep giving us fruit. And that will, that will return as rejoicing at the judgment seat of Christ. It's those who take up their cross and follow Jesus that rule and reign with him. It's those that deny the flesh. You're not in this life for personal fulfillment, wealth, right? financial fulfillment, sex, sexual fulfillment, you know, ego. Uh, you're not... You're not in this world. You exist to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. So humble yourself. What you want out of your life doesn't matter. What does is, what is the king said? What does the king say? That's everything. So get this down in your notes. This is a leadership key. If you're lording, you're not leading. If you're lording, you're not leading. Take the low seat. Don't get full of yourself. God uses a person one time and they're like, I'm the man. They're crowing to everybody about how awesome they are. Don't read your own press. Don't view yourself better than those that you lead. You do that and you are on a short path to failure. Why? Because better people, like the elite, the ones that are really, the ones that are really top-notch servants of God, right? These better people, they end up taking liberties that they forbid others. They end up in the mindset, rules for thee, but not for me. There are too many, I mean, these examples are everywhere. There are too many pastors that think they're running their own personal kingdoms and they get full, right? They're, they're, they're full of their, they're full of themselves. They're, they're lording, they're not leading. They're running their own personal kingdom, a kingdom that's full of their own personal subjects to rule according to their own personal will. In other words, their mindset, they'd never say the quiet part out loud, but what they're thinking is it's good to be king. They are a disaster waiting to happen. Can I just tell you, Midtown Baptist Temple, my family is no better than your family. Pastor's wife is not an office in the church. Pastor's kid is not a position of privilege. We're all co-laborers together in Christ. Hello, somebody. I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. I have an office, so I have to uphold it. I have a charge, I have to take responsibility. Not so that I get, you know, I don't, I tell growing leaders this all the time. I just rarely get what I want. Well, you're the senior pastor. whoop de blah bitty doo okay? I mean, every time I turn around, I'm like, what in the world? What? Why can't, why can't this work out the way I want one time? Okay, nah, I'm just, I'm being a little silly. So much is going according to biblical plan. It's not my plan, it's his plan. It's not what I want, it's what Jesus wants. That's all that matters. Read Ephesians chapter four. We're, you know, the officers in the church have a responsibility to make sure that the church is within bounds scripturally. That's their job. But in terms of our value as individual members of Christ, I'm no better than the newest member of this church. I'm no more valuable to the Lord than they are. We are co-laborers together. Man, turn to your neighbor and say, man, let's get to work. Let's start mattering for the kingdom. 
We're all here to serve with one another. That's why we're here. So what was Paul's prayer? What was Paul trusting God for for Timothy? He says it right here in verse two. I mean, the, the, the cry of his heart for Timothy, his dearly beloved son, is what? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He knew that grace, mercy, and peace, obviously, he says it, he says it comes from the Lord. It comes from God. Paul knew he was in his last days. He expected no deliverance, but that's okay because Paul knew God's promises. Paul knew his soul was sure. Death, please. You're coming for me? You got nothing. You can take my head, but you can't take my life in Christ. I ha- it's eternal. I have it. Paul understood then, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Again, so we've talked about this a few times over the years. A, a believer in Jesus Christ, they function as a trinity. There's three major parts to you, okay? You're like nervous system, circulatory system, digestive. No, that's all consigned to the arena of the flesh, okay? Um, there's, the, there's the physical part of you, that's the flesh, but then there's the spiritual part of you. There's two components of that, soul and spirit. When a believer in Jesus Christ comes to faith, to saving faith, in a moment, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, okay, their soul is, is saved. Their soul is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Their spirit is now made alive and joined with the Spirit of the Lord. In a very real sense, they become two-thirds saved. So my soul, because of the believing of faith, I believed on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My soul is saved. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. You can read all about that in Colossians chapter two. Um, my, and he, he explains to the Corinthian church, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Now my spirit is joined to the spirit of God himself. And we've talked about this. When the, when the believer dies, when the physical body gives up the ghost, that's how the Bible describes the process, or the silver cord is broken in Ecclesiastes, what happens? If my spirit is joined to the Lord, okay, so Maria, I want you to take the other end of this Band-Aid, or not Band-Aid, rubber band, that's the word I'm looking for, you got it? Okay, so I'm holding it, so Maria's not God, but she's acting, okay, she's holding that, she's a placeholder for the person of God, okay? Um, So here I am, I'm walking around on earth, I'm doing my thing, Uh, I'm obedient, Sometimes I forget to be obedient. Sometimes I make mistakes. Man, sometimes I just, just outright sin on purpose. Like what in the world? Oh yeah, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, oh wretched man that I am. He's talking about his life in the flesh, the old man. But in the new man, right? I can walk in the spirit that whole time, no matter what I'm doing. I'm joined to, used to yeah, God never lets go. Don't you ever let go. You blow your part, okay? Like, we're connected. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Okay, so I'm getting older. I don't gray my beard so that you'll listen to me. Uh, this is, I earn this, okay? So I'm getting older. Man, this year, I turned 55 this summer. I am a, yeah. For the first time in my life, I'm technically a senior citizen. Why do I still feel exactly the same way I did in junior high? Maybe a little less energy, a little slower, but <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, this, if, if things keep progressing the way they are, I'm gonna keep going through life, and eventually, one of these days, this body's gonna stop. The silver cord will be cut, right? The thing that, that this body will give up the Holy Ghost. Absent from the body is what, you know how a rubber band works, right? Is present with the Lord. Paul knows this. God's had my life. Okay, you can not let go. Just keep the rubber band and okay, there, it's, that's yours now. Like, he knew this. God's got, he's always had my life. He always will. So look at how he describes it. He says, we're confident, right? We are always confident knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, this is my life on earth, 
we're absent from the Lord. Now we're joined to him, but our soul, our body hasn't given up the ghost yet. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I can't see that, I can't feel it. It's something that God has made true, so I believe it. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone, everyone, not some, everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So God used him to write that passage to the Corinthian believers. So he believes it, he knows it, death doesn't scare him. He's just desperate for the grace, the mercy, and the peace for his disciple. Man, you wanna be fearless like the Apostle Paul? He, we'll, we'll talk about this in verse seven here in chapter one. But you wanna be fearless? You gotta get this down. Spend more time thinking about and getting comfortable with the idea. Get comfortable with the fact of your coming death. You gotta just think about it. You gotta spend time working it out in your own mind. You ought to imagine it. You ought to understand it. Not to be morbid and morose, but to be wise concerning your remaining days. So that you'll be, I mean, man, I'm, I, can, I can engage in spiritual warfare. I, I can engage in the battle that my Lord has called me to because I'm a dead man already. Death can't stop me. Death can't scare me. Psalms 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days. Why? So that we won't waste our life that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Paul was fearless and as a result, he's not concerned about himself, he's concerned that Timothy stays on mission. His concern was free to forget himself and wisely, right, he's applying his heart to wisdom, wisely focus these last few moments he has on earth, he wants them focused on young Timothy. Tim has to continue well, so he tells him to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why we need this letter from the Apostle Paul. We need his grace for the mission. We need his mercy, we need his peace. First Corinthians 15, 10 says, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with, which, which was with me. Uh, we're gonna see here in chapter one, verse 16, that we need, the example that we'll see is we need his mercy in our service to him and others. We alluded to this in our Jude study. Uh, we're gonna look at it in some depth here in the Second Timothy study. We need his mercy to avoid failure in the mission. You know, Second Corinthians 4.1 says, therefore seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We need God's mercy to be fruitful in the mission, amen? Man, without him we can do nothing. With him, all things are possible. We need God's peace as we labor in these last troubling days before Christ's return. We need his peace. We need a peace that passes all understanding. I mean, look at Living Faith Boston. Uh, they're suffering just a taste of persecution, kicked out of their home because of their Bible. Like, what in the world? You know, as we get closer to the end, things like this, the issues that we're facing, things like we're facing today will seem like the good old days. So I wanna ask you this morning, will you commit to studying this book with me? Will you commit to getting what God has for our local church in these last days before his return? If you'll do that, it will not be wasted time. You will grow in your understanding, but also in your capacity as a potential leader to lead God's people for God's glory. Let's bow our heads, let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Before I pray, I, w I just wanna ask, is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor, please pray for me? I'm not even sure that I'm saved. I don't know that I have Christ in my life. I don't know that Christ is my Lord and Savior. I don't know that God himself is my Father. I don't know that I'm destined for heaven. Pastor, please, would you pray for me? Can I see your hand? Is there anybody like that? Pray for me, I'm not sure I've got Christ in my life. Is there anyone in this service? Yes, sir, okay. Anybody else? Please pray for me, I don't know that I'm born again. Yeah, okay, I see you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah, I see you.
Yes, sir. I see you. Anybody else? We've got several already that's like, pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm actually a Christian. Yes, sir. No. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Uh, the invitation will be surrender your life to Christ today. Right? Be born again today. Be born be, through faith in the gospel. Be a part of God's family today. Be his son. Be his child. How many would say, Pastor, please pray for me? I know God's call on my life. He wants to use me in the lives of people. I need, I need 2 Timothy. I need my own personal study in the word. I need this to be profitable. I want to be fit for the ministry. Would you pray for God's blessing over my life? Can I see your hands? So Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. And Lord, there's several, several that are saying they don't know you. They're not sure that you're in their life. And so God, I'm, I'm asking in Jesus' name, Lord, I'm pleading what it cost you. I'm pleading the shed blood of Christ at Calvary. Lord, would you consider the great sacrifice of Christ and, and hear our prayer. Your word says today is the day of salvation. Uh, what it cost you to make a way for souls to be saved. It cost you everything. And so Lord, I pray that these brothers and sisters would, would not listen to excuses. They wouldn't be worried about their pride. They wouldn't be worried about what it looks like, but that they would today just surrender their lives to Christ. That in repentance over sin, they'd call on the Lord Jesus for forgiveness, mercy, and salvation. Lord, be glorified in their lives as well. And then, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that know that, that you've called them, they know that, that you want to use them in the lives of people. Lord, I'm praying that they would continue as disciples, that they would continue in, a place, in the place of a learner. Uh, Lord, that, that they'd be equipped, that they would be outfitted for the work. Lord, we want 2 Timothy. We want this, this study to be very fruitful. We want it to be informative. We want instruction. But Lord, we also want you to use it to change who we are. Uh, give, us, give us a little bit of Paul's mantle. <laughs> Lord, give us your, mercy, your grace, your mercy, and your peace. We want to be fruitful for you. Lord, we want you to use us in the lives of people for your glory. And so, God, we ask that you'd meet with us, that you'd make this a profitable time. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.